Thank you for downloading this podcast from Lafayette Community Church. We hope this message inspires you to know and live the life you were designed for, because we exist to help people just like you discover life in Christ. Um, I don't know what was given to you today as far as an outline, uh, but just consider it something you can doodle on, because <laughs> they're going to do something different. Um, uh, this doesn't happen often with me. Uh, it's, it's not a sign of super spirituality. I just think it's simply uh, things changed from the sermon outline that I turned in. The content, uh, this, the main passage is the same. But, um, and I think that Pastor Jeff, maybe a year ago or thereabout, I'm not sure, maybe did a whole series on the book of Ruth. Um, this morning, I want to talk a bit about not the book of Ruth, though we'll give it a cliff note version, but I want to talk more about the faithfulness of Ruth. No doubt the theme, at least from a Christ-centric sort of view, is that we see that the kinsman redeemer in this passage is talking about, and is a picture of our redeemer. We also learned that in this passage that later when Ruth and Boaz were together, they had a son named Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. And out of the lineage of David came Christ, our Lord. That's the significance, a big significance of that. But today I want to talk with you about what it means to be faithful. There was a song a number of years ago now entitled, May All Those Who Come Behind Us Find Us Faithful. I've often been moved by that song and thinking, you know, what, what are we leaving behind? Are we so self-consumed? about what we want now, need now, and experience now. Because we've lost this sense of delayed gratification. It's instant gratification. It's what I want now, what I would like to enjoy now. And for some reason, there is no sense of what am I leaving behind? Am I leaving anything behind And when I leave this earth, will I just be gone and no one to take my place? Have I dared to be influencing or mentoring someone else? I'm going to focus on one passage, one verse in the book of Ruth, and then I'm going to start there and move forward. It's a passage that uh, we hear. We often hear it at weddings. We hear it in other places, but... What does it mean? Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth said, Do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Now, the marriage ceremonies, they stop there. They don't get to the, di- the dead part. <laughs> they just stop it uh, uh, will be my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and even more, if anything but death separates you and me. Well, the book of Ruth is one of the smaller books of the Old Testament. And as I mentioned earlier, its significance as far as it being messianic and understanding how through this lineage came the Christ, the Lord, is incredibly and significantly significant. But let's start with what's going on. Back in Bethlehem, where they originally came, there was a famine in the land. There wasn't a pandemic, but they had a, a, pan, a famine. I mean, it was so bad that people were having to leave, to go elsewhere, to find a place not only to live, but in order to do things to eat and live and have some means of income and supporting their family. So this family, the family of uh, Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons named Maon and Kilion left Bethlehem to go to the land of Moab, which is not a short walk, by the way. Nice little walk. <laughs> so they went there to the land of Moab to sort of start over and pick things up and, and, and hopefully one day return to Bethlehem, but years would go by before they did. Interestingly, after 10 years... All the guys are dead. I mean, boom, out. Elimelech, the father, died. Malon and Kilion both took Moabite women as their wives. And, and after 10 years, all of them are dead. What is, it, what is it about women outliving the men? I don't get this. You know, my granddad dies at 70. My grandmother just keeps on living. I mean, what's, <laughs> I don't know. But I want what you're drinking, whatever it is. I want some of it. Maybe it's the, the well, the youth, youth well, or whatever they call it, the fountain of youth. But here they were, 10 years. And so Naomi is looking here into their, to the daughter-in-laws and says to, to Ruth and Orpah, uh, look, I hear things may be getting better in Bethlehem. I'm going to go back. This is your home. Thank you for being uh, wives to, our, to my sons, but they're now gone. You're free. You're free to go. Orpah took her up on that, said, you know, I've had enough of this stuff coming out of Bethlehem. I'm going to stay here in Moab. And she went back to her family. But Ruth, Ruth said to Naomi, the scripture verse we just read. Ruth said, I'm not an opportunist. I'm not just going to come when things are going well, and I'm not going to leave when things are not. No, no, you don't understand, Naomi, where you go, I'm going to go. It doesn't matter that my husband and your son is no longer alive. I loved your son. I wanted to be married to your son, but he was a part of my life. He was not my entire life. He was a part of God's plan for me. And I don't understand it. I don't know how we got here, but here we are. You ever been there? You ever asked the question? I don't know how we got here. How did I get in this mess? And the famous phrase is, but here we are. And there they were. And they said, okay. So they begin to journey back to Bethlehem because part of the deal back in those days was that her, her husband, Elimelech, was a landowner. And many other things. And their tradition was that somehow 
when your husband died, you had to go back to find the nearest kinsman to claim your land back. Now, I don't get all this. I'm just telling you the way it was. And so they go back into Bethlehem, and they have heard, people have heard of, of the faithfulness, going back to our key word today, of Ruth to Naomi. And as they get back to Bethlehem, everyone's cheering, look, Naomi's back. I mean, it's a homecoming. And look, who is that with her? Oh, that must be Ruth. And they begin to cheer, and, and what a wonderful day of celebration it was. And, and they knew why Naomi was back. And uh, the thing they did back in those days is they had uh, there at the gate, I guess, I don't know what you'd compare that to today, maybe the front door of the mall. I, I don't know. Uh, but it's a gate, an entrance way into the city where many things took place. Business transactions, people would speak, uh, they would have hearings, all sorts of things. And so one of the things that she did was to come back to the gate and to plead her case. And she had a kinsman to help plead her case before the elders and all who would gather and said, Look, I'm Naomi, uh, I have no husband, and I'm looking for my nearest kinsman. Long story short, she did find the nearest kinsman. But when the, and the kinsman didn't mind doing his duty, but then he learned he would have to take on a wife. And he either had one or others or didn't want another. Don't know which. But he said, look, I will pass this to the next nearest kinsman. And in the practice of their day, there at the, there at the gateway, they would symbolically take off one of their sandals and would give it to the next kinsman as a, as a legal and visible sign of transferring their, that responsibility to that person. And that man was Boaz. And Boaz knew that uh, Ruth came along as a part of this ticket and to be able to step in on behalf of Naomi and to gather and claim all that was hers, and he did. Well, if you know anything about the story of Ruth, uh, Naomi became a little bit of a matchmaker, kind of got Ruth all prettied up and sent her out and said, look, I know that Boaz is over here. I know where he's at. This is his field. He's a big landowner. They've been doing a lot of gathering. Uh, you need to go over there and work in his field. And just so happened by accident, of course, look up coming by his tent. And they had a discussion. Long story short. Boaz agreed to marry Ruth. And they did. Because he was the kinsman. He became the kinsman and redeemer who bought back for them something they could not buy themselves. And they conceived and had a, a, a child, as I mentioned earlier, and they named him Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, David the lineage through which Christ our Lord would come. And that's the significant picture. What I want to focus on is what Ruth did. And I want to ask us the question about faithfulness. Now, if 
sometimes I put my, I try to put myself in Ruth's place. I mean, there, there was no Facebook. There was no evening news. There were no texts. There were no messaging. None of this sort of stuff. They were in the middle of nowhere in the little Moab. She could have just said, I'm done. Uh, the, the longer I hang around Naomi, everybody dies. So I think I'm going back home. But she didn't. She felt an obligation to be faithful to Naomi. Because not only did Ruth lose her husband, Naomi had lost hers. And she felt compelled. She felt compassion to be faithful. It didn't matter who was looking because no one was. It didn't matter what would come out in social media because there was none. This is about a heart to heart. I'm going to be faithful to you. And wherever you go, I will go. Now imagine saying that. I, no, I, I mean, I don't know where you're going to go or what's going to happen in Bethlehem, but where you're going, I'll be there. And where you lodge, I'm going to. Uh, where, you, where you eat, I'm going to eat with you. And your God's going to be my God. This is just it. End of sentence. No discussion. And I think about the tenacity and the impact of that conviction. That I will be faithful to you wherever you go, regardless of where that is. And that's why I think some people use this in their weddings. Because it is a commitment to your spouse, future spouse, to say, you know what? Wherever you go, I'm going with you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to eat with you. We're going to live life together. We're going to have children together, Lord willing. And if not, we're going to be there for each other until the end of the days. Because their pledge was to be faithful. So my question for us today is very simple. Where in your life and what are you doing and what is God calling you to do to be faithful in? It goes a little bit back to the message last Sunday about the body of Christ. Every member has a specific function and place in the body of Christ. Everything is important. Whether you're the hand, the foot, the nose, or the eyeballs, it doesn't matter. Each one is a member of a larger body because without those individual parts, there wouldn't be no body. So my question is, are we faithful to that? Are we faithful to do what we say we will do or do things that come our way that may be better, maybe opportunities to do something else comes in the way, but we decide to go that way versus doing something that we are called to do. And this, by the way, this is not just about church or doing things at church. This is about life in general. You know, I'm not that old. I'm barely over 32. I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> I don't know if I get a laugh out of that. But I still remember. I still, I still remember. In certain circumstances, people made deals, sold supplies, built buildings, in some cases bought cars on a handshake, period. I remember that. Nowadays, you can't even shake their hand, you know? That's too close. That's too personal. But, you know, what one would say, their word was faithful enough 
and enough to the other person to say, if they say they will do it, there's not a matter of if they will or they will not. They will. Sometimes the timing is off. Sometimes things change, but there's not a question of whether or not they're going to be faithful to honor what they said they would do. And nowadays, we can sign papers and sign papers. I mean, I thought computers was taking us out of the paper world, right? Just go try to purchase something. I bought a home lately. Tried to buy a car. Well, you, you, it takes longer to sign the papers than it did to figure out which one you want to buy. And you sign and you sign. Oh, there's just one more after 25. There's just one more, one more. And then after that... When you realize that your emotions were making the purchase and you had a change of mind, you can bail out. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, it's going to ruin your credit. Uh, who cares? Just a number. You know, what has happened to this lackadaisical, self-centered life that is only consumed with me and my wants? The idea of faithfulness is only dictated by circumstances, because wherever it goes that I don't want to go, I go the opposite way. It's kind of like electricity. Electricity follows the path of least resistance. When there's resistance, it goes another way. Sometimes we live our life the same way. Are we determined to be faithful regardless of the causes of things we see, the things we don't understand? By the way, I'm just curious. Have any of you been in a situation that's just been really perplexing, really difficult? Maybe in your life personally, maybe in your marriage, and you thought to yourself, how did I get here? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll raise it for you. I love people, to be honest, every now and then, by that, by that normal question. <laughs> when you meet something normal, I want to see it. I haven't seen normal yet. Have you ever been there? I mean, I'm, talk, I'm talking to your heart now just for a minute. Quit all the fancy sermon notes and all that. I'm just talking to you. Because I know we've been there. Well, the job didn't work out like it was supposed to. That was a surprise. I know what that's like. We've been married. You thought, well, you know, you get back on Facebook, you give in to look back at all your high school friends. Some of them, you know, you don't recognize. They change so much. It's like, who's that? Oh, you know, that's, that's, that's Randy. Randy who? No, no, that couldn't be him. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Lost all his hair. Don't want to talk about that. Or they find the old flame. Boy, she, you know, she was just a, she was an ugly old stick. Pardon the vernacular. That's just the way some people talk where I come from. That, that girl was ugly as mud. Don't ever say that to anybody. But I'm just telling you, I'm telling you the way they talk. But look at her now. What did she eat? What did she take? Because she is gorgeous. I had a chance to date her. And the, I'm thinking, hey, but I'm married, right? I, yeah, yeah. Why am I thinking like that? You look back at these pictures and think, boy, I wish I could have. I wish I could have. I could have done this. I could have had that person and yet we, we fail to turn and look in the face of the ones we have. Listen, the grass is always greener on the other side. 
And yeah, I don't understand how why men shave their head bald when they have perfectly good normal hair that could grow out. If I shave my head with what I have left, the rest of the follicles would be so insulted they would never come back again. I would be permanently bald. And if I am, that's it. But it's disgusting that some guys have all this hair and they, I mean, you, you could ice skate on their heads. But if they let it grow out, it comes right back. See, I don't, that's not fair to me. <laughs> and I'm not going to wear a wig and I can't afford a transplant. I mean, hair transplant, that is. If we look at the lives that have behind it, and every now and then, you don't want to live in your rearview mirror. In fact, it takes me lots of hard work to get people out of the rearview mirror. But every now and then, we look back and see where we've come from. And then we look at our present tense and we look into our future. We get so, so caught up into the past of what could have done. Disappointments and, boy, I made a mistake. I wish I had done that. I wish I had stayed at that job. I wish I had married that person. But here I am. And we look into our future and we think, uh, it's so daunting. It scares us. And so, as I say to many, for all practical purposes, you don't have a present tense. If we're living of the regrets of our past and we're fearful of our future, we have no present. The modern term, I, it's new to me, it's not really new, it's called mindfulness. You ever hear that word? That's what this is. Nice little cute word for what I just said. We don't stop to enjoy the power of the present We're so consumed with where we're going, trying to run from where we've been. We've always in survivor mode. We've never in, we're never in run mode. We're in survivor mode. We never run like a normal thing should run. It's just, I got to survive. Survive what? I've got to survive the fact that I'm afraid of my past. I wish that had never happened. I don't know where I'm going in the future. I'm scared, gutless for that thing. So therefore, I don't have a present. So I'm just surviving about something I have no idea about. And the unknowns are killing you. Am I talking to your heart yet? Have you been there? You see, the thing when I think about Ruth, I think of her faithfulness to Naomi. Her faithfulness to a person that she trusted and has shared life with had no idea what the future would bring. All she knew was the past and where they were at the present tense. And she said, where you go, I'm going to. And where you live, I will. Where you uh, serve God, I'm going to do the same thing. And I go back to the original question. Those who come behind us, will they find us faithful? You know, we've got a lot of competition in this world. We have a lot of competition of people's attention, their time. My wife and I were riding down the the road. I won't tell you which, well, you may live on this road, but we were driving down one of the roads in Lafayette, and my wife said, look at that. 
And I said, look at what? And it was a, one of the more pleasant times of day. It was at the storms last night. Uh, maybe this was on Friday. I don't recall. Uh, and in the afternoon, and so it was pleasant. So people were out on their porch. You know, some people still have front porches. Now, in my day, and again, I'm only 32, right? So in my day, when you sat out on your porch, it was be cool, but it was also the way people, as they came by. I mean, in the country, no, there were no strangers. You waved at everybody. Who was that? I don't know. You wave, hey, how y'all doing? I said, who was that? I don't know. And we sort of lived out. But was, and she said, look at that. I said, look at what? She said, look, I kid you not, for about a mile, for whoever was on their front doorstep, in some cases there were four to five to six people, sometimes just one, everyone was on that phone. And I know they're not that important. You're not that important. And I surely am not. Everybody was on the phone. And, you know, as a pastor and as a marriage counselor and a few other things I've been called, I find it interesting that people come to me and say, we, we have communication. We, don't, we can't seem to communicate and, you know, any sort of resolution to get things fixed. We can't talk. And, 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 and while in session, if I don't tell them to put the phones down, they don't. And what I learn is that these people who can't communicate carry on conversations for sometimes hours because they can hide behind a text. They can say what they really think, call them what they really want to call them. And they call you something bad, you call them, write something right back bad. Bam, 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 bam. I've read some of the text. Believe me, they, they allowed me to. And we're living our world through a text box? Are you kidding me? Are we going to leave anyone faithful behind us other than this is the best way to thumb tap your phone to get the best words quickest and longest and better? There's nothing wrong with phones. Um, hold on. I got one. Uh-oh, Siri wants to talk. <laughs> Shut up, Siri. Nothing wrong with a phone. But when it begins to be a part of our life versus a means of communication, we're going to lose. If we want to use this as something to be able to communicate to our spies because we're nervous, we want to really say what we want to say so we can hide behind the words of a text. And people do. They do. And they say some of the most ridiculous things. I'm talking about Christian folks. Hello? What are we going to do to leave behind us that they're going to, hey, I was faithful with what I got and was given. I can't do any more than that. And I'm going to be faithful to do just that. I've shared this story before in this church at a conference, so I know I have. I haven't got totally out of it yet, but I, I know that I'm, what I'm getting ready to tell you I've told already. But it's too fitting for, to pass this up. Uh, and because I'm doing this off the cuff, I don't recall the dates, whether it was 04, 08, or 12. I don't remember. But you remember back in the Summer Olympic Games in 04 or 08, one of those days, the United States had a women's 4 by 100 relay team that was tops in the world. Tops. It was no doubt about who would win the gold medal. It was a matter of how many, 
you know, seconds where they're going to cut off the record. But as you recall, this, this, this happened on three different occasions. And if they're out of sequence, just don't sweat it. I got, I got the story right anyway. On one of the occasions, the thing about a 4 by 100 relay is that each of the four women run 100 meters. or hundred. Yeah, I guess it is meters. That's their leg. This is a relay race. They carry the baton. And the idea is not just how fast you run, but you've got to pass the baton. You've got to do that. Well, in, in, during that first year, 04 or 08, what happened was the girl dropped the baton. They were already winning the race. They were ahead of the race. In fact, they were on the race to beat the world record, even their own record. And between, not, you know, it won't happen on the first or second. It always happens from the third to the last runner. You know what I'm saying? Always. They dropped the baton. The girl kept right on running anyway. They knew it was gone, and they crossed the finish line. But that was it. They couldn't win. A team that was far less than they were as far as physical prowess and dominance won. Well, guess what happened four years later? I mean, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Four years later, a similar team, I don't know if it was the same women, but I think there were some women that were on the A04, on the A08, if they weren't the same. I don't fast. They had to speed up the film meter to catch up with these. I mean, they ran, ran, ran. They were fast. They came into those Olympics, top in the world, in the country. But in this end, would you believe that on the second time, the second, this is, there's four years apart, they didn't drop the baton this time. They failed to pass the baton in the series, uh, there's uh, so many feet or meters, what are they, that they have to pass the baton in. If they don't pass it between here and here, it makes no difference how fast they're running. And if you pass it before that space, it's no good. If you pass it afterwards, it's no good. Guess what they did? They did not pass it within the window of time that they had. Guess what? They were disqualified. I mean, the first runner ran wonderfully. Second, wonderful. The third, wonderful. They failed to pass the baton off when it was to be passed off. Gone. Lost. Not even third. No, no, no. They were disqualified. But thank God for the third try. And it was a similar team, if not the exact team. Don't quote me on that because I don't know. There was a similar team. Of athletes. Again, here they come to the Olympics, top in the world, fastest. And finally, finally, with everyone holding their breath between the last third runner and the fourth runner, they got the baton passed, and that fourth runner ran across the line like they could barely see her when she crossed. And they finally won. They were the gold medal. They, they had always been gold medalists in my book. They had always been the fastest in the world because they were. But very simply, they didn't pass something that is vitally significant. If you don't pass the baton, you disqualify not only yourself, you disqualify your team. So I ask you, follow with the analogy. What baton baton are you running with? 
And where does God have you running with it? Because it's God's plan that he passed this, that you pass this off. He never intended for you to be buried with that thing. He never intended for you to take it and put it in a shelf in a, in a glass box where everybody can see, that's the baton I carried. God's not concerned with people seeing your baton. What God is concerned with is are we going to pass the baton off? Will we be faithful to pass it? And will we have it when we're supposed to pass it? And you can look at each one of those three times those girls run ran that it was all like the baton's there. Whoops. I didn't quite make it. Oh, I'm sorry. You can have the fastest team. You can have the biggest church, best church. You can have the smallest church, biggest church, largest church, best music, best, all this yada, 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 yada stuff. I tell you, I tell you the people that I'm going to look forward to seeing in heaven. I'm looking forward to that grandmother who prayed in the quietness of her house, who couldn't get out and go to church, but she could pray. She could pray the devils out and pray heaven down. Who no one knew where the growth of that church came from. They thought it was their programs. Oh no, no. What we don't see are the grandmothers and the grandfathers and other people behind the scenes that knows God, hears God, prays with God, fellowships with God, lives in His presence, lives in today. And when it came their time, they passed the baton. Because nobody's going to go to your service and see you holding your baton. If you do, it's a dead giveaway. You never passed it on. Why not? And if you don't know what you have in your hand, maybe you should ask God. If you don't know what race you're in, it might be important. Because if you're in the 100-meter dash and you're supposed to be in the 4 by 100 relay, you're in the wrong run. What do you do today to be faithful? Ruth took the baton that Naomi passed to her. And she ran with it. And I hope you will too. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And His plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.